Smartcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement, Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, It becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. It's a great pleasure that I have the opportunity of presenting special guest Glenn Tickle to the show today. Glenn is a comedian and a weird dad based in New Jersey. His special the Favorite is available now on Dry Bar Comedy, and his previous special, Good Grief, a comedy about loss and being bad at it, is available on Amazon. Glenn's also the publisher of Jerk the Magazine, a magazine you can send to people you don't like. It's a great pleasure. I welcome Glenn to the show. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. I, um, I appreciate us being able to have this opportunity to do this episode today and share your story with our audience. And- let me ask you this. I want to ask you, how did you start out with, with comedy? Because I'm always fascinated by comedy. Because for me, I don't tell jokes well. I suck at it. I wish I could. <laughs> I've always screwed up punchlines. I've stuttered along telling the story. I just, I'm not good at telling a joke. And so when I did I, it, I did it once in college because I've, I've been interested in it for as long. Like I remember watching the Steve Martin episode of The Muppet Show on repeat because my grandparents had it on tape when I was a kid. Um, I would watch anytime it was on TV as like VH1 used to run, uh, old, like eighties and early nineties standup showcase shows all the time. And I would watch those. Uh, I tried it once in college without preparing anything and it went bad because that's what happens when you don't (laughs) put effort into it. Um, and then it was years, years went by before I tried it again. And it was mainly because I went to school for film. 
but when you graduate, you can't use the school's film equipment anymore. <laughs> so like, I didn't have, I didn't have really a creative outlet. Like I didn't have a way to keep making my own movies. So I'm like, well, I see a lot of comedians are getting hired for writing jobs that I'm, that I'm getting passed over for. So if that's like a way that I can get these jobs, like I don't mind standing in front of a crowd. I know how to write a joke. Like I'll just go do that. Uh, and then I've started finding local open mics in the area. Uh, it worked like I've gotten writing jobs out of it, but doing stand up, I think I would much, I prefer that to getting a writing job at this point. What is it yeah. about stand up? Cause I look at stand up and I'm like, wow, you're able to walk in front of a group of people, live mic and work that crowd. Right. And to, to most people, they probably fear that, first of all, fear of going in front of a crowd, right? I can talk yeah. in front of a microphone for a podcast. If you get me up in, in front of a crowd that sings karaoke, I'm going to look at you like a, a deer in headlights. So, no, oh, I can't. I'm terrified that. of doing karaoke. Terrified I'll, of it, right? do, I'll do stand-up for any size audience without concern at all, but I, I'm singing in public is like my big <laughs> So that's what I wanted to ask you is like, what's it like that, that, first, that first open mic night that you show up and you're like, here I am. What was that like for you? I went. So the, the open mic that I, that I went to when I decided to like try comedy in earnest, I went to, it was every two weeks uh, at a local bar. So I went one night without intending to go up. So I'm (laughs) going to go, I'm going to go watch. And when people tell me they're thinking about getting into stand-up comedy, I tell them to do, I'm like, just go to a local open mic. Like don't sign up, just watch it. And then, you can come back the next time and go up because the thing about open my comedy is a lot of it's quite bad. <laughs> like if you're worried that you're not going to be good, if you watch a local open mic, almost certainly you'd be like, well, I can do better than a lot of that. <laughs> um, like it'll build your confidence <laughs> to watch the, whatever local comedy show you have. Uh, I, I will specify open mic. Like if you just go to a local booked comedy show they might be great like that might not necessarily help your confidence but because even open mics like you can be good at comedy and have a bad set at an open mic because it's not the best venue for comedy like it's not supposed to be bars will agree to host open mic nights because they think it's cheap entertainment but it's it's really barely entertainment like it is for the benefit of the comics trying to work new bits it's not really testing it out it's it's like testing out your product before you actually set it off right you send it out right um and i'm looking at open mic and as i said i i respect i've been to local comedy clubs before covid was here in tampa like we would go to different places and i've always had such a great time anytime i do live comedy to watch anyone who ever stands up on that stage i find like when they get to the stage where they go get professionally booked, I feel like they hone their craft so well that they can say certain things that can make most people in the audience laugh. I want to ask you this from your perspective, when you've done your performances, have you had those moments where you tell a joke and half the audience looks at you like you're crazy and the other half like laughs a little, but doesn't really reflect Like, What do you do with those jokes that just don't really land very well? Do you move on uh, to the right away? Or do you kind of like, how do you, how do you. It depends. Balance? If it's, if it's a joke, I really believe in, I will explain it i i like jokes are always funnier when you have to explain why they're funny to the audience (laughs) but uh i will i'll i'll usually work a little harder to try to get the rest of the audience on board i have a pretty extreme example of this uh so i do a lot of college shows okay and 
I did one in Maryland and for some reason it's, it was in a big auditorium. It was, I think it was like the day after the school closed for a snowstorm. So like there weren't a lot of people, but one side was all the students and the other side was a bunch of faculty and like admin uh, because there's a crowd of work. <laughs> there was a there was a woman who worked at the college whose last name was also Tickle. Uh, so when she saw that I was coming, she got like all her coworkers to go. It's usually like just at college shows. It's just students, maybe one or two. Yeah. Uh, administrator, like whoever organizes the student activities group. But this was like a pretty even split of students and adults and but they sat one side was students one side was adults and i i do a joke where uh, i sell it to the i explain to the audience i'm like i'm going to tell you guys the dirtiest joke that i've ever written and it's just a joke about making pancakes for my daughter um and the punchline to it is my daughter asks she's like did you eat the d daddy are you still hungry eat two d's and she keeps going on and on like that and the students are laughing very hard at it because they know what the D is uh, and the grownups have no idea. So <laughs> it's the one side of the room wow. is losing it. And the other side is literally like looking over at the other side of the room, trying to figure out what is funny about this man in his mid thirties <laughs> shouting the D over and over again. So you had the biggest inside joke in the audience where half the crowd got it and the other half just didn't. Yeah. I'm like, there's a, I guess there's an age limit for who, <laughs> who knows what you're talking about. If you tell someone to eat the D. <laughs> and I'm sure that'll be reflected in our audience. People who listen to this. Yeah. And we'll all get <laughs> yeah, it right away. I was going mean, to, I was going to explain it, but now I'll let them fight it out. Let in the, your let do that as a tickle for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no pun you got to Google word, it. Right? You got to Google. You it. should have safe search on when you Google it. <laughs> Just, I, uh, I I love that. I love that. I, I, I want to ask you this. What's been the best moment for you as a comedian? Uh, this is an easy one. So when I recorded my album uh, in, God, when was it? 2016? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it's been five years. Uh, in 2016, I recorded my first album and I was doing a joke where so I used to be a substitute teacher and one day as a sub to kill time with a preschool class I tried to teach them a knock knock joke and this little th- 3-year-old girl like volunteered she wanted to get up and tell a knock knock joke uh so normally when I do the story like I have someone in the audience I was like all right you're going to be this little girl so take the mic and just repeat what I tell you and then I tell them the knock knock joke and they say it to the audience uh, but my daughter was three at the time. So I explained, I'm like, normally I have an audience member come up to pretend to be this three-year-old, but I have a three-year-old now. So then my daughter comes on stage and I hold her and she tells the joke into the microphone. Uh, and that's the best moment I've had. <laughs> I love that. I, I wouldn't doubt if your daughter doesn't pick up more comedic stuff in the future from your artistic stuff. I feel like she's very creative herself. We'll see, She does not think I'm funny at all. <laughs> well, how old is your daughter right now? I have an eight-year-old and a, now I have another three-year-old. Okay. But, At the time, uh, it was the eight-year-old when she she told the joke. Yeah, she, before everything shut down, one of the last shows I did was another college show in Connecticut that I brought her to. Uh, it was an overnight trip. She was super excited to get to stay in a hotel. Um, the students gave her coloring books and crayons when we got there. So during the show, she's right sitting right up front just coloring away, completely ignoring me. Uh, could not care less that there was a show going on. 
anytime I try to do jokes at home, she just doesn't. You know doesn't what? Like it. That's interesting. You say that. It's like I want to ask you about this. So you're creative and you're an artist. You know, a lot of people will dissect uh, comedians, painters, sculptors, whatever, right? Writers. That's all different entities. For me, I kind of say in my mind that if you have a creative spark and you have this ability to, to make something that's an art form, we're all artists, right? That's how I look yeah. at it. So as an artist, I want to ask you this question because this is something I can reflect it. Now, you, you have your show and it's out there and, and you probably talk to your family about it and you're like, hey, I've created this thing. It's out there. Have you ever had anyone in your family and you love them to death and you know who they are, that you show something that you've created and you're proud of it because you're like, this is something I put out there. And they either don't respond to it or they look at it like, okay, like, have you ever had that flat response from a loved one in your life about something you put out there that you're really proud of and you've gotten great yeah. feedback from other people, but then you have a family member or someone you're like, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, I, I already expect you to do this. It, Last week I was trying I had to try to explain what jerk the magazine was to my mother to your mom. And yeah, she did not understand it at all. Because <laughs> uh, I, I was down at my parents house and my dad at it had just come out at the first issue and my dad asked how it was going. I was like, oh, it's doing surprisingly well. Like I had to order a second run uh, from the printer and I had a bunch of orders to ship out. And my mom's like, but what is it again? And I'm like, it's a magazine that you send to people that like people pay me to send it to people they don't like. like <laughs> why, why would they do that? And she's like, well, because then they get they go to their mailbox and they open it up and it's a magazine all about what a jerk they are. And she's like, that's not nice. I'm like, no, it's not supposed to be. It's the whole point is you just like if you have a neighbor who doesn't cut their grass frequently enough or what, like send it to them. And then it, they don't know who it's from. They just know they've done something in their life that made somebody want to pay a comedian in New Jersey to create a magazine <laughs> just to send it to them. And she could, she didn't understand why anyone would want to do that. She didn't understand why I put the work in to make a dumb magazine. <laughs> it's your artistic expression. Yeah. I'm like, it's because I've been home a lot in the past year and a half, mom. There's not been a lot of comedy shows going on. I needed something to do. And this is what I this is how I decided to spend my time. I, I, I say that and, and I love my mother to death, but I talked to her about my show and she's like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> sometimes she'll listen. Oh, that's nice. Like, yeah. it's funny because sometimes I know my mom supports me. I just know that sometimes family members don't always uh, react the way you would, you, you, you know, sometimes I, I have something I create, whatever it is. I'm like, Hey, I really want someone to like, give me some honest feedback and then I'll, I'll share it with them. And they're just like, what a thumbs up, which is good. But I'd like yeah. to have some input. I'm sure you're like that too. You want some feedback for when you do your, your, you know, your show or you, you have your, you know, have you, what has it been like for you to get feedback in your life? How's that been in terms of your own flow with people in your uh, life? Well, that's one of the things that I like about, stand-up especially is that the feedback is immediate <laughs> uh like if i think of a joke like i can get on stage that night and tell it i don't have to like i, I went like i said i went to school for film so it can be literally years before between writing a script and seeing the finished movie with an audience to get really proper feedback because you can show people a script and it's you know helpful to get feedback from people who understand how scripts work but like Absolutely. if you give your mom a screenplay your mom's probably gonna be like sure this is fine i don't know like I, it's, uh, well, it's you know unless your mom I, works in the film industry 
I guess I want to ask you this. How about doing comedy skits about family members? How has that been for you in terms of the ability of expressing your artistic flow? To commemorate? Yeah. Well, I think since I started doing jokes about having kids, it they landed a lot better than jokes I was telling before that. So I've been doing comedy for, I think, 12 years. Yeah, I started in 2009, I think. And before I would do like weird, a lot of jokes about how I used to be a substitute teacher, or at the time I was still a substitute teacher, dumb jokes about my name, weird science, like abstract <laughs> jokes, um, science? which were all like working fine. Yeah. But then when I started talking about having a kid, those jokes worked a lot better. So I saw, I just leaned into that. And now uh, I did an interview recently and somebody asked how I write jokes. I'm like, I just wait for my kids to do something funny or terrifying. And I tell people about it, um, which is only a slight exaggeration. <laughs> like so much of my material now is about my kids and it's because it works. Uh, I think it's Ray Romano who said that like an audience will tell you what kind of material they want to hear from you. And I think it's true. Like if I went out on stage and started doing like really vulgar, like edgy stuff, I don't know that audience would like it. I wouldn't. I know that. But like an Andrew Dice Clay kind of thing where we're like, yeah, yeah. I think I just come across as just a, a dad who wants to tell you about his kids. Like, I think I think that's the vibe I give off. So that's kind of what audiences expect from me at this point. Uh, and it's true. I do just kind of want to talk about my kids. So like it works out for everybody. Those jokes work better than other jokes. So I'll keep doing them. As long as my kids keep doing stuff, I'll keep telling people about it. Why do you call yourself a weird dad? Uh, it started as a, uh, I mean, it will basically just because it's true, but it was originally, I was a weird uncle. Um, so my, my special good grief is about the death of my younger brother, Mark. And I'm one of five kids. So my sister was the first one to have kids. So she had my nephews. And one day, Mark and I were, were watching our nephews. And I asked them, I was like, hey, am I the cool uncle? Right? I'm, I'm, I'm the cool uncle. And they're like, no, Mark is the cool uncle. He's cool uncle Mark. You're weird uncle Glenn. Uh, and I was like, oh. <laughs> Okay. Um, so I thought like I, I was the fun one and they're like, no, you're just, you're weird. They're like we don't dislike you, but you talk about star Wars an awful lot. We just want to go play wiffle ball with uncle Mark. Um, so he was the cool one. Uh, so I got used to being a weird uncle. And then when I had kids, I'm like, oh yeah, now I'm just a weird dad. I got you. Um, it's also, uh, if, if you listen to the judge John Hodgman podcast, uh, there's a category of litigant on that show a lot that comes up as just like weird dads with a system that they're trying to push on the world. And like, yeah, that's pretty accurate to me. They made a t-shirt for the show. that says weird dad that uh, I think my wife got me for father's day one year. That's great. That's great. So it's a good title. If it fits, it has a great story to it in terms of how your nephews, if I'm correct, how that's phrased yeah. would, have, would have seen both you and him. And, and, the, and then you adopted that, now in terms of your life role as a comedian it's a great way to have yeah us. like if i if you ask my my children who's weirder me or my wife I, there's no contest well <laughs> like, 
I'm looking at things like this. I've been to Austin, Texas, and they they always like to keep Austin weird. Yeah. <laughs> and that to me is outside the box, being creative. So I don't look at weird as a negative term. I always see it as a positive, open-ended term, gives someone the ability to fit different categories, but not fit in just one. You could yeah. be comedic, you could be a father, you could, you know, be various things, a, a writer, a movie producer, et cetera. Um, yeah, well, I, I mean, I my my kids know that daddy's weird. They don't like I've uh i've hosted events for my kids school a couple of times so like she has seen me she's too young for it to, to for that to be the most embarrassing thing in the world <laughs> like there was a they did an outdoor carnival uh a couple months ago that they had me do a set at so like she's out playing with all her friends and then everything's not and they all like come to like the back of the pickup truck stage or whatever it was and like so she had to watch me tell jokes about her in front of her friends and their parents. Uh, and I'm like, that's in a couple years, this will be mortifying for you. What was, uh, she's, how did excited. she react to that? Uh, she was excited. She's like, Oh, cause she knows she asked me recently what my job is. And I'm like, daddy's a comedian. You like, she's like, no, I know you do comedy, but like for work, what do you, what's your job? And she just doesn't understand that this is, <laughs> this is my job. Um, my, Three-year-old, I just did my first like weekend of shows somewhere in a year and a half. Uh, so I, I was gone for a couple of days and I told her, I was like, oh, daddy's leaving and then I'll, I'll be home on Sunday. Uh, I'll see you in a couple of days. She's like, what do you mean leaving? She's like, you're home all the time. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like my wife's a librarian and her library uh, has been open in some capacity for most of the pandemic. Um, so she was working from home for a bit, but then going to the library to do like curbside pickup and stuff with people. So she's been going to work on a pretty regular basis, the whole pandemic, but it started when my daughter was, she was so young, she wouldn't have remembered before when, you know, like probably a couple times a month, daddy would go on a trip somewhere and be gone. Like she didn't remember that. And now that it's starting to happen again, she's like, what do you mean? What do you mean you're leaving? And my older daughter was trying to explain it to her. She's like, no, he has to go tell jokes to people. Sometimes he'll bring us and it's fun. Um, I'm like, yeah, but I could, it was the first show I did back was at a casino and children aren't allowed to stay at the hotel. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, you guys can't come to this one, but hopefully soon, you know, as things start to open up again, I'll bring my kids along with me places. You're, you're an entertainer. Yeah. I mean, I got booked to do a wedding, which sounds crazy for me to say that I'm going to be at a reception after someone gets married in the end of October as a, a psychic medium. But I'm like, all right, I'll I've do done it that as a comedian. And it is just as weird, <laughs> right? You sit there at the table, like who, who, who side of the family are you from? <laughs> I'm just a psychic guy. I'm local. Yeah. here. Um, I, I find it. I've, I've done a couple of events and I'm not a comedian. I just read people, but it's kind of like, if you can help show people something that makes their life lighter, if you could do something that makes them feel better, then I, I say as an entertainer, you're, you're kicking butt <laughs> and, yeah. and, and that's great. And that's how I've noticed when I even read with people in large groups, I'll, I'll see that it's an entertainment kind of thing, but it's just me reading people. But for them, they're entertained, you know, like if, how that reflects. I, I wanted to ask you about Good Grief and share with our audience the story behind it and how you're able to turn something that's grief, which so many members of our audience have dealt with at different levels in their life um, into mm -hmm. a, a place of comedy and a renewal. And I, 
I, I find that amazing. I just want to see if you can share that with our audience. Sure. Uh, so I mentioned in 2016, I recorded my first album. And then between recording it and releasing it, uh, my younger my younger brother Mark died uh, in a car accident, and like immediately I started thinking of jokes. Um, like my mom called to tell me the news, and the first thought that I had was a joke about it. I didn't say it to her because that's not like she. You asked earlier if they've been like supportive and how they react to stuff. I, I asked my parents, I'm like, I either have to do comedy about this or I have to stop doing comedy and I'm not going to stop. So you need to tell me that it's all right if I do jokes about this. And she's like, well, I don't, I'm not going to tell you, no, I don't ever want to see it. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Why would you? Of course not. Like, yes. I get it. Yes. Who gets um, the joke the best? Your brother. Yeah. And he gets to go. He gets to get, he gets your joke the best and he appreciates it. I feel and I feel he's extremely immensely proud of you for what you're doing. Yeah. My, my dad has come. So I did the show a few times. Uh, I mean, I did the show a lot of times, but a few times close enough to home that my dad came to it. And I told him, like, he's been very supportive. Wow. He's seen me do comedy more than anybody else. I'm like, you don't have to come to this. You can sit this one out. Because uh, to me, it's different hearing someone tell jokes about their dead brother than hearing jokes about your dead son like yeah. i but he he kept coming and i every time i was like you do not have to come to this uh i'm not going to tell you you can't like you're an adult like you can uh you can make your own decisions but if i was in that situation i'd i 100 percent wouldn't want to go um but he did it's all about how you look at death though it's all about how you see death right it's how you look at death, how you see death, where you are with death. And I'm not saying that we should be celebrating death every day. No, I'm saying, but if you have the perspective that your loved one is still connected to you, that's where I'm coming from, my little lens. If our loved ones are still connected to us every day, and even though they go somewhere else, we could still feel them in our dreams. We feel them at certain moments of our lives afterwards. You can feel that energy. I feel a lot of us have those kind of things. And some people might be closed off to it, but I think there's enough coming through to let people know, at least this is just my point of view as a medium. There's enough coming through to let people know that we're not finally gone when we leave our body. So if you look at it that way, then your artistic expression of your relationship with your brother and going through the situation of what you've gone through, but being able to put it in a context that you can make people laugh about it and tell jokes about it. To me, that's the highest art form there is. The highest homage that you could pay to your brother is to create something Thank in you. honor and, and to be able to share that message with others to help them heal, to help yeah. them look at grieving differently. That's what I get when I hear your when I feel the vibe of what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I had to, I had to start doing like touring it as a separate show because uh, we were talking a little bit before we were recording. Uh, and I said like the, the reaction to the final special that I put out has been overwhelmingly positive. Like I, every couple months I, I'll get like a random email from somebody who found it and they tell me how helpful it was in dealing with their own grief over something. I'm like, that's really sweet. I'm glad it helps. It was never my intention. Uh, I talked about it in the show. I'm like, I didn't set out to help anyone but myself. Um, but when I started doing the material, if I was just doing a regular show, if I'm on, if I'm on like on a showcase, right? And there's five comedians, everybody's doing 10, 15 minutes. And I go up in the middle. I'm like, hey, uh, I know we've been having fun, but death will come for us all. And <laughs> like, it really... 
grinds things to a halt. So I start the special and the, the negative feedback I've gotten from the special is about the way that I started the show for the most, like a couple people have just been like, how dare you do jokes about your brother's death or whatever? Because uh, why not? You're an artist. It's your, yeah. well, the only times I've gotten that live have been when I've done the material outside of, like if I was just doing a regular show and I tried to do those jokes, then some like I think twice it's happened where somebody will come up and be like, that's really insensitive of you. But when I call a, a show about grief and I explain up front exactly what's about to happen, that gives people a chance to like opt out at that point. They're like, well, I don't want to hear an hour of jokes about death and grief. I'm like, well, then why'd you buy a ticket to this show? Exactly. Um, I stole it from Frankenstein. So the, the Boris Karloff Frankenstein movie starts with uh, an old man comes out and like warns the audience how scary the movie is. He's like, if you if you stay, we're not responsible for any heart attacks or whatever. Uh, I forget the exact wording. I think he's the producer. Um, I don't remember who exactly the guy is, but I basically do that to myself. I come out and I was like, look, this is a show all about my younger brother dying. If you don't want to watch that, now's your chance to just turn it off. And a couple people like left reviews where they're like, he says the name of the show so many times in the first 10 minutes. I'm like, yes, because I'm explaining why I gave it this bad name. Like, I don't think it's a good name. Good grief show. It's a yeah. play on words, but I think it represents a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people. Now, yeah, it's, you too, it? it's too wordy. It's a little like good grief is a little I think I say in the show, it's a little first thought. Um which is a comedy writing term for like, you can do better. Um, What's that about that? A comedy loss. I'll, I'll read you the title back at yeah. it. Grief, a comedy about loss and being bad at it. Like, yeah, it's it's would, very long. That's not long uh, at all. That to me. Grief, grief is uh, on its own. I don't know. Like that's what Charlie Brown says. Like it's not, it's not great. Yeah. You know what? But, it might be Charlie Brown, but then you put in the context and you have the description under it. Here's here I am. I'm an artist and yeah. I'm writing this to express my, the loss of my younger brother to a car accident. And instead of, you know, burying under a rock and being depressed for six months, I decided to take my artistic ability, express my feelings and emotions and put it into something that hopefully will let people get a different look at what grief's all about. And I talk about some of the other titles I'd considered and why, even though I don't, I don't really like the title. I'm like, this is the best one for it. Cause it explains exactly what the show is because the times that I've titles? done it, What'd you say? What other titles were you looking at? The worst one uh, was Missing the Mark because uh, that was my brother's name. And I'm like, I, I had a list. That was 100% the worst one. Uh, the original show, I pitched it to a Fringe Festival in Scranton, Pennsylvania with the title. Um, I th I'm trying to remember the exact. It was something like uh, How to Talk to the Grieving, semicolon, or How to Talk to Me Specifically Now That My Brother is Dead. And I'm like, well, that's again, it's too long. Um, titles should be pithy, I think. Yeah. Like my you... first album is called Yes, Really, because that's usually that's what I say when people ask me if my last name is really my last name. Um, the favorite, the new one that came out, like it's just short. It refers to a joke in the special, but nice and short. What is your favorite joke you've ever told and why? Um, it's a good question. My, so I do, I, I do one 
where the joke itself is not funny, but I I go to great lengths to get the audience to laugh at it anyway, which uh, a comedian friend of mine, Jason Brown, a, a couple of years ago pointed out, he's like, you don't really like to write jokes that audiences like you like to get you trick audiences into laughing at jokes that they don't think are funny. And I'm like, yeah, that's correct and awesome. Like you should try it. It feels great because it, it's so much harder. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. oh, anybody can think can laugh at a joke that's funny. Um, it's on my my first album. So this is the joke. I had a dream last night. I was getting attacked by a bear. Don't worry, I'm fine. And that joke never had never worked in like the first, I think it was six years that I'd done comedy. It's one of the first jokes that I wrote. Uh, and I really like it, but audiences don't. And it's too weird. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, it was when I first started writing jokes, I was trying to do like Mitch Hedberg jokes. So in the same, like same page on the comedy notebook that I bought when I decided to start doing open mics. Uh, that's on the same page as the first joke that I wrote, which audiences do like. And that's my wife and I adopted a dog recently. We've been trying to have one naturally for about a year. And to me, those are the same. Like they should work the same. That works. Makes me laugh, right? <laughs> uh, like, so to get the audience to laugh at the bad joke, I, I do this elaborate setup where I'm like, I'm going to, do the first two jokes that I ever wrote. And I tell them like audiences really like one of them and they really hate the other one. I'm not going to tell you which one's which I'm just going to do them. And I want to see if you guys can figure out which is the one that the audience doesn't like. So then I, I do the bear joke. They don't really laugh at it, but then they realize, well, that's the bad one. And then they laugh because they've found the bad one. Uh, and then there's a tag to where I'm like, well, what if that's the good one? Like, what if that's, what if that's the joke that I think audiences really like? It's going to be a long, like 45 minutes or however long I've left on stage. Um, the other ones, my, he's right here, actually. Um, this is my daughter's toy robot. Nice. And uh, he's got a little speaker in his belly. And I wrote a program that I can, I can make him tell jokes. And they're all dumb robot puns. Like if I just went out on stage as a comedian and i said what did robot beethoven name his fifth symphony and you're like what and i said diode to joy like it would at best get a groan but if i tell you that like this is my daughter's toy i bring him on the road uh because i miss my kids and i can't bring them everywhere so i bring he's like my little road buddy and now my kids think that he travels the country telling jokes uh, and I'm recording this show. So he's going to tell you jokes. You have to laugh at the jokes because I'm going to show the video to my kids. And if you don't laugh, you're bad people. You'll ruin <laughs> He can tell the worst, the dumbest robot jokes you've ever heard in your life. And you laugh at them because you don't want to be a bad person. I love that. Uh, like Please. those, are, those are the most fun for me to tell because I'm like, I know on their face, these jokes are not funny or good, <laughs> but I'm making you laugh at them anyway. Exactly. Uh, it's an art form, man. That's the most fun for me. It's an art form. Because then, it, yeah, it, then it does. It feels more like uh, like art than, I mean, I, I think comedy is art. I'm not trying to it put is. down regular jokes. I, it's just to have that extra level 
of effort on my part to be like, you're going to hate this joke, but you're going to laugh so hard at it because I'll make you feel guilty if you don't. Like that's within the context, way more fun. Within the context of our conversation right now, I'm dying to ask you this question. So just bear with me for a minute. Sure. What's the funniest joke you've told your mom and why? Um, funniest joke I told my mom. And how did she take it? I don't like, I don't run material by people okay i don't think of a joke i'm not i a lot of my comedian friends would be like hey do you want to get coffee and like write i'm like no i don't i'll get coffee with you because we're friends and you can sit there and scribble in a notebook but it's not it's not like comedians will bounce jokes off of each other i'm like i would rather just try it for an audience like i don't care if my friend jason thinks a joke is funny um but i remember i think one of the I think one of the reasons why I try so hard to do things like make audiences laugh at a joke they don't like is as a kid, I would read the Sunday comics like every, every week. Uh, I would like look, really look forward to like the new far side or whatever. And my mom never understood any of the <laughs> jokes and I would like try to explain them to her. So it would be like the far side of like, there's the famous one, where it's like the whatever school for the gifted and the kid is trying to push on a pull door. <laughs> and my mom would be like, I don't, why doesn't he just open the door? I'm like, because <laughs> he's supposed to be gifted. So you would think he knows how a door works, but he doesn't. So it's the opposite of what you expect. And that's why it's funny. She's like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, from a really early age, I would try to like break down exactly what made things funny and why you should laugh at them. And then I also realized, like, I would try to explain, like, a Garfield joke to her, and she wouldn't get it. I'm like, this one's actually not that funny. Like, Garfield, I don't know why it's lasted so long. Garfield's not funny. Um, Farside's hilarious. I have to share uh, something with you. The reason I ask that question, I get premonitions sometimes during interviews, and I'm doing the psychic thing for a second, but I actually think you'll have content in the future you're going to talk about, and there'll be something titled, The Funniest Joke I Told My Mom and Why, or, you know, something you get in terms of your whole spiel. But I, I I'll try like it now. There's, like, a whole, we'll... there's a whole aspect of that that you could get into that I feel like is going to be interesting to explore. I just rolled off you like your future self is telling me that that's probably something we could, you're we could make that happen. Like I can start running jokes by my mom. <laughs> well, it's it's um, actually the, she, it goes deeper than that, like right? Cry, laugh at uh, the, this is the second time I'm bringing him up, but the everybody loves Raymond. Yeah, she would watch that show and just cry laughing, uh, and it would be the opposite of like, I would try to explain far side comics to her and she would just be in tears watching this show. I'm like, I get, it's a funny show, but why are you laughing so much at it? Like, that's what I don't understand. Like, why well, are that's you- the thing about humor that so many people don't think about? I've had movies that I've gone to with friends in my lifetime where there's like, this is the funniest movie you're ever going to watch. Yeah. And I go to it and I'm like, I don't get the humor on this movie, whatever kind of movie. I'm not going to trash what it is. But then there's other people who will go to that same movie and laugh so hard that they'll be like, you have to see that. I have a yeah. certain kind of humor that I like, you know, everybody's got that. And I want to ask you as a comedian, because, you know, you get to see a lot of different reactions to your jokes across the different shows you've done. Have you ever found that people you could tell different type people's types of humor in terms of the audiences you go to? the area in the country you're at, like different jokes fly differently in different crowds. Yes. Um, so I do, like I said, I, I used to be a substitute teacher. I have a lot of jokes about that period of my life, but it was a long <laughs> time ago. So when I recorded 
my album in 2016, a lot of it is those jokes because I, at that point I wasn't teaching anymore. Uh, I was starting to get, I wasn't a full-time comedian yet, but I was starting to like get more paid work where it was, it was less of a hobby at that point. And I'm like, Oh, great. Like I can record these jokes and then I don't ever have to do them again. Um, but then I started getting booked at a lot of colleges and I'm like, Oh, well, if I'm 19, I, I can probably relate to jokes about a substitute teacher more than if I go to like, I'm doing some fundraiser event in central Pennsylvania. It's like the town is raising money for their like hundredth anniversary celebration or something. I'm like that crowd, they might laugh a little bit at jokes about me being a substitute teacher, but like, unless they work in education, it's probably been a while since they've been in or around any situation that involved a substitute teacher. So they'll probably get the jokes, but like I do, I stuck to doing those jokes at colleges because I'm like, Oh, these guys had a substitute teacher last year. Like they, they will relate to this. So even though I had planned in 2016, I'm like, let me just record these and I don't ever have to do them again. But then I started performing more and more in a context where I'm like, Oh, well these jokes will actually work better here than anywhere else. I've told them. Um, I generally work clean because when to get booked at colleges, you have to do these showcases yeah. where like the bands and magicians and comics will all perform for like the student activities bookers of colleges in whatever region. Uh, so like every year I'll go to Hershey, Pennsylvania and I perform for yeah. a thousand college students and then they'll figure out who they want to bring to uh, campus next semester and so I'll do, I, I know what jokes I can do there, but they tell you, they're like, you have to work clean. It's a 10 minute set. If you, if you're dirty, schools won't book you. Um, that makes then, complete sense. I understand yeah. that. that would make but sense. then I'll get to a college. I always ask at, at, especially at colleges, but usually any show, I'm like, is there anything you don't want me to say or talk about? Because the way I look at it, I am not, particularly well-known <laughs> like no so it's not like it's not like we'd coming... have a show i'm sorry to interrupt you but you wouldn't have a show that says afghanistan <laughs> right like <laughs> if i i'm not i don't think i'm at a point in my career where people are coming to see me specifically like i i look at it as a group brought me because they want a comedian they want to have a nice time so i'll do shows in like really rural areas of like I perform I'm I'm close to Pennsylvania so I perform there a lot. So I'll perform in like central PA where I'm like I probably don't agree with these people on a lot of things politically, but it is my job to entertain them. So if I go out and I'm really dirty and offensive and I just go out and tell them how much I disagree with them and how stupid I think they are, they're not going to have a good time and that's the opposite of what my job is. If I was really well known and people were coming to see me specifically, then I'm like, well, this is what you came for. Like you came to hear me and what I think. Me when? So, what you say? You're well known. I, I work in I work in those kind of mindsets that if you oh. say if I'm well known, I'll say when you're well known. Since you're doing you know comedy and entertainment, I would always say you just say when you're well known. It's not like you're trying to have a pompous ego. Well, or I mean, I'm I'm certainly better known now than I was. Well, I'm saying. 
I'm applying the law of attraction to our conversation for a minute, meaning that if you, should you want to be well-known, you just think in your head that you're well-known and then eventually you get there. It's kind of like that kind of, I know it's just. Well, now, like I'll do a few shows where I know people are coming because I'm on it. Um, But I also look at it as, so like I, I, I generally work clean. I don't do a lot of political material because I don't, people don't necessarily come to a comedy show to hear specifically what I think, but I will, you know, I'll, I'll post political things on Twitter and stuff. And because if you follow me on Twitter, you've made the decision. You're like, I want to find out what Glenn feels like tweeting about. Like you can just unfollow or mute me. If you disagree, that's fine. But if I get, you know, if I get paid to come to your town and tell jokes that you will enjoy, I will do that. Like, I don't, I just, I don't know. I don't want people to be mad at me. I want to ask you, because this is my show and I can't ask this question. What would be your favorite political joke that you could tell on this platform that you couldn't tell in the college crowd or a central PA crowd? Uh, I mean, part if I could think of like good political jokes, I think I would probably do more political material, but like I, I can't like I, there's very funny political comics out there. Uh, my friend Jay Black isn't like a terribly political comic, but has like a pretty good political joke that he's I've seen him do a bunch of times over the years. And I'm like, that's that's pretty good. It's a pretty good joke. It's about it's basically playing both sides against each other. Like it, whether you're left or right, you watch that joke, you can be like, oh yeah, he really stuck it to the other side when in fact he's just making it to both sides. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I, if I could think of a funny way to do political material, I I would, but I, it just usually makes me angry (laughs) or sad. Well, we're in in some really uncertain times right now. I I don't, I I, I love having you on right now. And I really do feel that you are going to be when you're well-known or when you're further known because I I appreciate that. And I'm not just saying that to encourage you, but I get information when people talk. So when you said, if I get when, so that's just something to tell you, I think your content, you're on the right track with your, your creative abilities and you're not going to be limited just being comedian. You're going to actually be doing uh, your film production in the future, independently filmed production i feel like you're going to do some projects yeah we're uh i'm going to be hopefully if things open up enough that we can like get a crew together that will that will do it we're going to be doing it in a short uh hopefully pretty soon the the guide you there but um i want to ask you this looking at the interview and what we're talking about today and, mm-hmm. and and i didn't get a chance to hit this on for you but in terms of what you're looking at what's your personal view about grief now that you've been able to create good grief and you've put it out there and you've kind of gone through this journey that you've been through the last several years uh i think we should just talk about it more like when i started doing the material uh i'm i I think i already mentioned i forget what we were talking about but i'm like i don't want i don't like it when people are mad at me uh like as a as a well-off middle-aged white guy i'm like my biggest concern is just that people get upset with me um and when i started doing the jokes about my brother's death, I really thought I'm like, people are going to be mad. Like they're going to tell me I shouldn't do this. Um, and it, like I said, it only happened like twice where strangers would be like, I, you should be ashamed of yourself. I'm like, well, it's not your brother. Like if I went up and made fun of <laughs> exactly. else's it's not grief, your brother. If I went up and made fun of someone else's grief, I'm like, well, yeah, that would not be a nice thing for me to do. Um, but I, I talked to family members when I started doing this, like I said, I, I asked my parents, permission but i also told them that they had to give it to me and then i like 
told my other siblings about it. I didn't, I don't feel like I needed their permission, but there's stories about them in the show. So I'm like, I'm going to be, I told them, I'm like my, my older brother, I'm like, I'm going to tell a story about when we got trapped uh, at grandma's funeral with the praying nuns. Um, Cause my grandma was in a rosary group in Florida and (laughs) the rosary group came up to New Jersey and, and like, did the whole rosary around my grandmother's corpse at the viewing and we got stuck in the room because they're like we don't if if just out of respect for like the prayers and, and like if you guys if we can just close the doors we just don't want people coming in and out so if you want to stay stay if you don't now's your chance and we couldn't get out of the room fast enough uh and we but bo- i started losing it immediately like can i think something for a second yeah i have to say something funny because this is just a jersey thing Bring on the nuns. <laughs> Bring on the like that's like putting you in the room and and you're you're like I'm not I'm not in any way making I'm just saying from a comedic point oh, of view. I am. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's like, wait, you had that moment and what happened? Yeah, I just started laughing so hard. Like, and then the fact that I knew I shouldn't be laughing makes you want to laugh more. My brother uh is just staring at me and then like finally the, the nun just go, hey uh you guys can go <laughs> like we didn't have to stay the whole time because i'm cracking up because i'm like it's so it takes so long to do the, like how i went to we catholic do, how long school. would that have taken if you think about approximately the whole rosary uh, like a, an hour i think like it's been a while since i had, like i went to catholic school so that we had, i had to sit through it a couple of times i'm like it feels like forever i used to um, do it I was a Catholic. I call myself Catholic light at this stage of my life, but uh, I was, I was, you know, I got, I decided to do that in my twenties. So I used to do yeah, that. I always just say I was raised Catholic. Yeah. But to do it when you're like in a room and you get, need to go, <laughs> you're yeah. like, it's not a disrespectful thing, but we got to go. <laughs> and you're like, right. I'm like it's, it's you either let me out of this room or you're just going to have to listen to this idiot laughing the whole time. Cause there's nothing funnier than a group of old women from Florida praying a whole lot around your dead grandma. Like that's, <laughs> Of course, that's hilarious. Who wouldn't laugh in that situation? You got to have the humor there to understand it. If you don't have the humor, you're like, oh, my God, I'm so appalled. You're so disrespectful. Yeah. So I told my brother, I'm like, I'm going to tell that story in this show. And I'm like, I, I asked him, I'm like, is this how you remember it? And he's like, not. Nah, I don't really remember it. He's like, I remember people praying around grandma and you were laughing for some reason. I was like, yeah, that OK, that's I that's the sure reason. That. Yeah, <laughs> like that's it's. He's like, I, I don't understand. <laughs> like, none of them told me I couldn't do it. So a couple people were like, I don't really remember it exactly that way. So I think I talk about it in the show where I'm like, my my memory is famously bad. Like, it's not I'm not the most reliable narrator for this story. So I basically did it where I'm like, if anybody who knew my brother watches this and they're like, I don't think it happened like that. I'm like, you're probably right. Like you can take that away knowing you're probably right. And I'm probably wrong, but it's just how my bad brain remembered stuff. Cause it goes back. I think my first grandparent died when I was like sophomore in college. Um, and that was a long time ago cause I'm old now. So I'm like, I'm not going to remember every perfect detail. Keep mind this way too. When you're telling your story, and I, I was laughing, I'm thinking of that from the perspective of your age at the time. When you're like 12 years old, 13 years, whatever age it is that you are, and your grandmother passes, and you're a little more disconnected from it as a child than you would be yeah. if you were your age. Now. Oh no, I was like 25. Oh, you're 25. Okay, okay, fair enough. 
<laughs> but I mean, there's different parts of how people look at things. How close are you to the person? How, you know, what there's, and there's right. all these other aspects of things too. But I think yeah, some people there's... death too literally, too, too, too closed off. There's, I do jokes about three of four of my grandparents' funerals. Um, I did a joke about my maternal grandfather that I cut for time because of the four, like it wasn't, the joke's not that good. Uh, but that was the heart, the one I had the hardest time writing because like I was really close with my maternal grandfather. Uh, and my, my dad's parents lived in Florida. So like we saw them maybe once or twice a year or like we would go down there every couple of years. So, that, I mean, they were my grandparents. I loved them, but we weren't like terribly close. But my other grandparents lived in New Jersey. So we saw them all the time. Uh, and my grandfather was really into science. Uh, he, he was like a radio guy in the army. So he had all like this electrical equipment and stuff in his basement. So he would like teach me about uh, electronics and we would usually like make some kind of project when I went over there. So he and I were really close. So I, I had a harder time coming up with a joke about him dying. Cause I was like the first, he was the first person to die that like that, like really hit. Uh, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother died before that. And I mean, I was, she was my grandma. I was sad, but like I was a lot closer with my grandfather. So that one hit harder. Uh, and the joke I ended up telling about it wasn't about his funeral. It was like years later that my, my mom gave me my grandfather's accordion. Uh, and I don't play the accordion (laughs) and I'm like, thank you, mom. But I don't, I don't play the accordion. And she's like, but he'd want you to have it. (laughs) Look at you and look at everyone else in our family. Who's the most likely to pick up the accordion there, bud. I'm like, all right, fair point. Cause like, again, to the the point of being a weird dad and weird uncle, (laughs) I was a weird son. She's like, yeah, like you're (laughs) just take the accordion, man. So I still have it. I've never learned to play it. The buttons confuse me. I understand the keyboard side of it. But then there's the other with just unlabeled buttons for days. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. I'll say something funny to that. As you're talking about your accordion, my mom gave me my grandfather's harmonica that I've never played. I have one of those too. Yeah. I look at it. I never played it. And I, I try to play on it. And it, it sounds worse than, you know, two cats. Outside it just seems so night. gross to play yeah. someone else's accordion. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah, a, no, seriously, by yeah. its nature, you slobber all over it. Uh, so I still, I, he was, he was a harmonica player and he had, uh, and he was an accordion, accordionist. Um, I actually found years later, uh, we got a bunch of their records and I found a record that he recorded. Uh, I forget the year, but it, it was when it must've been when he was dating my grandmother because he talks about he's, he recorded it for his parents and he's between songs at one point, he talked about how he's going over to Annie's house later. Uh, and so I, I digitized it and I sent it to my family members and uh, they uh, they were super hyped because it was young grandpa. Because like in the fifties or whenever he would have done this, like you could just go into a booth and record a vinyl record. So he would he would like play at restaurants and stuff. He wasn't like a oh, wow. professional musician. Yeah. He would just like go play out sometimes for extra money. Uh, he would always play for ha- birthdays and stuff. He would play everybody happy birthday on the accordion. Which that's about as far as I've gotten in accordion playing as I can do happy birthday. And it's I have to ask this because I know you have insight. Have you ever had a visitation dream or something you feel like where you have either your brother or your grandfather come to you in a dream or any other relatives? 
Because a lot no. of people don't have those, but I'll say that you probably do. If you do, you may not even realize it. Do you have dreams about them in the future? Uh, I mean, I have I have dreams about people, but not like them talking to me. Like oh, well, and it could be indirect messages too. I always share that with people. So you could have a dream. Like I had a dream after my grandfather passed that he took my grandmother dancing, and I mm-hmm. never knew they went dancing. And then I mentioned it to my grandmother and my mom. They're like, "Oh yeah, your grandfather used to be a prolific dancer when he was younger." And I started to take those breadcrumbs and piece them together. And then I figured out, wait a minute, my grandfather's actually communicating with me right now. This isn't just random statements in my dreams that I wake up and say. What is that? Like, I'll actually keep a dream journal and I'll write down things. So that's why I was curious. A lot of times deceased loved ones come to us in our dreams. And especially when you're artistic and creative, you're rather also intuitive. So there's probably elements of that just to keep in mind in your future that you'll know about. Even if you're not picking them up right now, you'll have that in the future. I feel like you'll have more connection to them both. Especially yeah, if you I have, have I think, I don't know where it is. I used, I think I used to have his harmonica on my nightstand. Um, and I have, somewhere near my nightstand i have um my brother i took a a couple things from my brother um one of them was a a little poker chip set uh because we used to play cards together that was like he and i weren't terribly close um but you know he's still my brother it's if when he was in town we would hang out and we would we would play cards together uh so i had this set and my daughter asked she's like what is that i'm like oh it's for a game that you play and she's like can you teach me how to play she was four at this point i think it was a couple months after he died so i taught her how to play and like we i tried she was four so like how are you gonna explain (laughs) poker to a four-year-old but i tried right and we played a couple hands and she beat me every every time uh and like i I just it was a straight deal like i wasn't gonna cheat (laughs) to beat my my four-year-old but I was like, you know, here. And then so I would show like I showed her how the chips work. I'm like, when you win, this is what you get. And she's like, oh, so would Uncle Mark want me to have these? I'm like, yep. So now that's how my four year old got a poker set. I'm like, yeah, you know, what? I think he, I think he probably would. So that's a sign of what I call synchronicity in a way, like your little yeah. daughter playing poker with you. And it was a memory you had with your brother. And even if you weren't. That so when she brother, starts card shark and all the kids at school it's my brother's fault no, i'm just saying that actually is something as an outside person looking at you're telling that amazing story to me that reflects the connection that your brother still has with you that he's influencing you with the card deck with your daughter that to me that's how i look at it now everyone looks yeah. at things differently but i i kind of delve into the spiritual realm a lot and uh that's something i would see that as an example of in other words anytime there's similarities between what you're thinking of with your deceased loved one and all of a sudden now you're showing your four-year-old daughter how to play poker I mean, there's a reflection there. There's a, a, a commitment there. That's great. And I think that's phenomenal. I want to I want to ask you this. Who's your favorite comedian and why? Uh, Steve Martin, for sure. Okay. Uh, this I get I get this question a lot uh, in interviews and then just randomly people like at shows. It's a when it's a thing people ask other comedians a lot. I don't really know why, but the answer is Steve Martin. Uh, he is my favorite because uh, I think I already mentioned, I don't remember if we were recording yet or if it was before we started, but uh, I used to watch the Steve Martin episode of the Muppet show at my grandparents' house, like all the time. Um, and I actually watched it again, coincidentally last night. Um, and it's great because we talked about how my favorite kind of jokes are where like the, the joke itself on it on its own, isn't necessarily funny, but I will trick you into laughing at it anyway. Uh, Steve Martin does that a lot. Like a lot of what he does is just so goofy and pointless. Roxanne. 
Remember uh, the movie Roxanne? He was oh, like, yeah. I remember that when I was younger. That was hilarious. Like the stuff where like he'll have an arrow through the head and balloon animals. I'm like, it's so silly that anybody would laugh at it, but he's doing it so fake earnestly that everybody laughs. But the conceit of the episode of the Muppet show that he did was he's booked to be the guest star, but then the show gets canceled because they accidentally double booked the theater to audition new acts. So he keeps coming out to like re-audition for this job that he already got. Uh, so he does like, he does balloon animals, uh, banjo stuff. And like, I watched it so much as a kid where I'm like, it's really funny. Like I liked the Muppets. I'd seen other episodes of the show. I'm like, it's really funny that he, that it's not really an episode of the show. Like <laughs> it is, but they're like, sure. Oh, sorry. Show's canceled. We're not doing it tonight. You guys can hang out if you want. And he just keeps coming out to like, try to get hired again, even though he already was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the jerk, uh, I saw that I, probably the first time in in college. Um, but other Steve Martin movies would play on like Channel Eleven Saturday afternoon movie. Uh, I, I would watch a lot for some reason. Like as a kid, I like I said, I'm one of five kids, so we would all watch Saturday morning cartoons. And then my oh, yeah, siblings would want to like, yeah, my siblings would want to go outside and play. I'm like, I would like to stay inside. <laughs> Watch and keep watching television but at like 11 or whatever cartoons stop and then they start showing just movies or whatever adults would want to watch at 11 in a saturday afternoon and it would be like all of me or the man with two brains um three amigos like those would all play yeah, pretty regularly yeah. uh, or roxanne like you said um so yeah i started watching steve Mar. i i remember in like third grade, I had to, we had to do a thing about what we thought we'd be like as adults. And I'm like, I want to have white hair like Steve Martin. Uh, and I don't, it's like, I'm, it's, I found like I got years on you though. You got plenty of years to get lighter hair. Well, he, he, he talks about it in born standing up, like his hair, he started going gray, like pretty early. Um, and I was like, Oh yeah, that's what I want. And it's, I, I have a couple like gray beard hairs, but I found maybe one or two gray head hairs at 38. <laughs> I want to ask you this. When you're looking at your life right now, where do you see yourself five years from now? And what would you be doing? Uh, <laughs> uh, I will, I will still be doing comedy. Uh, I think if I was going <laughs> to stop doing comedy, I would have stopped by now. Uh, it would have been like after my kid was, my first kid was born because I've been doing it for 12 years now and you see a lot of new comics kind of come and go. Um, there was a, uh, I forget why we started saying this, but it's in, in an army movie. It might be saving private Ryan, but one of like the older, like more grizzled soldiers is like talking to somebody else. He's like, don't make friends with the new guy. <laughs> and in, in the movie, his point is, or no, it might be the book Red Badge of Courage. I don't remember where this came from, but they're like, don't make friends with the new guy because statistically, they're not going to make it. Like, the longer you've been here, the more experienced you are, like, the more likely you are to keep surviving. Uh, right. But they're like, we burn through new recruits and stand up tends to be the <laughs> same way. Like, a lot of people will come do an open mic because they want to try it once. And then that's the last time you ever see them. Or, 
they'll come do it a couple of times or they'll like they'll do it pretty regularly, but then they get married and have a kid and then you stop seeing them um, or they get a new job or so like a lot of people quit stand up comedy. Um, but I've been doing it for a long time through a lot of the circumstances that make people quit doing it. And I'm still here. Uh, plus now, like I've put out an album and two specials. I can't, I can't stop. Can't stop now. You got to keep yeah. going. You already started like, the flame. It's, it's burning and it's going to burn. My friend, uh, I produced my friend Tyler Rothrock's first album and he starts by talking about, he's like, I'm stuck doing comedy now because like, I can't, be the guy at the office with a comedy CD, right? Like, that would be so embarrassing. You start a new job and they're like, wait, did you used to do comedy? Like, oh, I can't. So I have to keep doing it. Like I can, I can maybe do it less. Like as I start to do other projects and stuff, uh, Steve Martin famously like just stopped doing standup and went to do movies and plays and books and stuff. Um, I would probably still do it. Maybe it's not as passion. much. It's in your passion, yeah. the passion of yours, the lifelong passion. It's something that you're always going to do from now on. It's so fun. Like, even if I end up doing something else, I will still do it. Like, I'll go to local open mics. There's people who do comedy not because they want to be professional comedians. Like, it's just like a bowling league to them. They're like, oh, Thursday night's the open mic. I'm going to go tell jokes to the open mic <laughs> and have a couple drinks with my friends. And that's a perfectly valid reason to do it. I've just been lucky that i've been able to have it be my job for the last couple of years um, Absolutely. and i would like it to keep being my job because it is more fun than other jobs that i've had once you could take your side hustle and make it your main hustle then that's like goal in life like takes on your passion yeah. about that you don't even feel like you're working to do and you're doing it because you love it and you enjoy it and you can make that your main thing that's like it's I weird because it happened kind of gradually where I started doing colleges more and those pay pretty well. So I was doing, you know, you a couple of months for a while. And then I had this other full-time writing job and then that went away. Um, but they gave me like a pretty generous severance package. So I was like, all right, I've got a couple months where I don't have to worry about money. I'm going to like really lean into trying to book more shows. Um, and I've still done like other part-time work and other like side projects here and there, but like stand-up has been my main. I think you're going to be able to do more of it as you go forward. I really feel that way very strongly. about. I that. think now that, um, now that the dry bar special is out, like yeah. I, I've, I've been very lucky to get booked frequently, but like, it's all kind of in the Northeast, but now that the, like dry bar is a national platform. So like I can call a club, in kansas and be like hey i have this dry bar special i'm going to be in town next august like what dates do you have like they might not book me but they'll at least get back to me now i love that i think yeah you're going to continue to grow with that i think you should definitely keep going is the words i get for you just keep going thank keep you going, keep going because growth is going to come your way you're going to find success and you'll be able to eventually work towards other creative ventures for yourself including some film so I think you're going to start with small projects, but I still think you're going to be involved. I think you have a passion that's too strong to deny. And when you just have a passion that's too strong to deny, you're on your own path, your own journey. And I just kind of you And I don't see I don't see failure as an off ramp. <laughs> I see just a no, journey. Yeah, I th it's I'm I'm the to bring up poker again. Like the term is your pot committed. Like I can't just stop. <laughs> like I can't 
just stop doing stand up now. Like I've done it for too long. Uh, like my my the parents at my kid's school know I do stand up. I got we I took my kid. To you're that guy. Practice. You're yeah. that guy that does stand up, but you're not that guy that works down the street that does stand up. So you're good to go right now. Yeah. Like my, I got recognized at my kid's soccer practice the other night. <laughs> One of the other parents was like, are you Glenn Tickle? I'm like, I am. And that can either mean that they were a former student of mine, but this lady was too old for that. Uh, or they're a comedy fan or they know my dad. Like I still get recognized just for being Bill Tickle's son. At more, probably still more than I get recognized as a comedian. I, like, are you Bill? Like, I look almost exactly like my dad, but with hair at this point. We're running low on time, but I want to I want to have you tell our audience where they can find you. Sure, uh, I'm at Glenn Tickle on whatever social media platform you use. Uh, I use probably TikTok the most now. That was a product of the pandemic. I didn't see coming, <laughs> um, but I I use that a lot. Um, you can go to glentickle.com. We'll have links to. Uh, shows like I, I try to keep the show calendar on there updated uh, as much as I can. Uh, it's got links to jerk the magazine. If there's somebody that you don't like, you can mail them a magazine. Uh, I, have, okay. I have one right here. We'll do the talk show thing where I hold it up. Uh, I love that. But yeah, I, I started, we started production on issue two this week. So the, see now I can't say that to anybody because they know you're on my show and if they listen, they're going to know I sent that to them. So I can't no, they'll just think, the late, those those woman on the cover, uh, her name is Jen Winham, and she was a Kickstarter backer of the project, and she backed it at that. the level where I put her on the cover. Like she, uh, I did it as a joke. I didn't think anybody would do it. Like they they recommend you put like one very high reward level because it makes the rest of them look better. And like, who knows, maybe somebody will do it. And she did. She took me up on, she called my bluff. I'm like, if you back me at $500, I will put you on the cover of this magazine. <laughs> and she sent it to so many people. And I'm like, you know, it's like, the point is that it's an anonymous thing. She's like, no, I want them to know. I want them to know who it came from. <laughs> and I'm like, that's, I love it. I love her vindictive spirit. She's been, I did an interview with her for the magazine. And like, we've talked quite a bit now. Uh, uh, now that it's out and she keeps sending it to people. She sends me people's reactions to getting it. Uh, I'm like, this is incredible. Cause she's so, like, it's such a specific case because her face is on the cover. Like my name <laughs> is in there. So like it says, uh, you know, I'm on the masthead and people know I made it, but they're like, well, this lady's, why did this, even strangers who don't know her will see it and be like, why did this lady send me a magazine? I've never met her before in my life. <laughs> are you she's taking some, the heat for me, I think. Are you going to have some like uh, investigation open up the post office as menacing content of funny magazine coming? Well, through? I looked into it because I wasn't sure if I, if you were allowed to send people mean things in the mail. Like again, I'm so terrified of getting in trouble and being mad at me. Uh, so I did a bunch of research and then I found out Larry Flint sent a subscription of Hustler magazine to every member of Congress. And <laughs> they back then, they, back then, yeah, right? That's you yeah. got to put in the context of was it the 70s or the 60s when that happened? I think he's dead. Yeah, he's a while um, <laughs> So I think, yeah, in I don't know if he still does it, but in his life, he sent a subscription to every member of Congress. And a couple of them sued him because they're like, you can't send us this filth uh, when we don't want it. And the Supreme Court ruled, yeah, he can. 
you can send pornographic. You can send whatever you want to somebody in the mail. Unless <laughs> there's unless there. Like, yeah. You can't be like the uh which serial killer is that sending explosive? Yeah, oh I can't send like threats yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I can I can send a magazine that calls you a jerk. Whether it, you well it's not it it's not it's not considered uh, um obscene and it doesn't appeal to the period interests of the general public, which would constitute obscenity under the statutes and federal law. So that's why you're able right. to send a magazine. And as well, long that's as- the, like the magazine, like the cover, I think the argument it, it was over a year ago when I was reading up on it. The argument for the Supreme Court, they're like, you don't have to open the magazine. You can just throw it away. So like, even though inside the magazine, yeah, it's it's a porno mag. Uh, like if you can see, you can just throw it in the trash. And I think a lot of people who get this aren't going to read it. Like, yeah. so part of what makes it so funny to me is it was really hard making this dumb magazine. <laughs> I spent a year wow. on this. Uh and I have to do three more of them now. But uh, you know what? I got I, I worked so hard, and then so many people are just gonna ignore it and throw. You it. need to reach out. There's a there's a company that does fart spray or does something like that, mm. where you could send uh, something to somebody and it smells like that. You know what I'm trying to say? There's a humor yeah. side to it. You might want to gang up and get together and collaborate. Then you can have the. There's magazine. a couple. There's you can send like <laughs> glitter bombs to people. That's you do, that I, would be like a care package, but in the opposite. I think that might go a yeah. little too far with people. <laughs> Maybe the magazine's good enough. <laughs> It'll just be this and like fake dog turds. That's funny. I want to thank you for coming on today and for sharing. Thanks your, for having me. Oh, what a, what a pleasure. What a pleasure. And I, I appreciate it. Very fun to talk to. I appreciate you being able to take something as a topic like grief and turning it into a, I would say, turn the frown to a smile, like, you know, try to find the silver lining in something. Try yeah, to yeah. use your abilities, your gifts and talents to help other understand, help others understand that you can laugh at different situations of life and it's not meant to offend others. It's meant to express what's inside. It's meant well, to that's what it I found in doing the show is so many people would come up to me after and be like, you know, I was at my grandfather's funeral and the funniest thing happened or like, oh, yeah, when my uncle died, we thought of this great joke about it. And I was like, oh, so it's not just me. Like everybody did. Like, I think I was so worried that people were going to get mad that I used humor to deal with grief. And then it's like, like no, it's like we this. all do it. Like everybody just, does. I just want to thank Glenn for coming on the show today and showing sharing his viewpoints with our audience to let our audience understand that grief is something that happens in our life, but it's not just the only thing that happens in our life. There's a lot of other things that we get to look forward to living our lives and doing what we're doing. And to be able to take a life experience and turn it into a, a, a force that you can help others laugh at and connect with and relate to, that's a power to me. That's a, that's a superpower. Having the ability to use your own ability, your own talents to reframe something in your own life and connect with others who might be going through a similar circumstance, something like good grief. It it just resonates with me. And I want our audience to check this out, you know, listen to this episode and think to yourself, sure. We all deal with grief at different times of our lives and at different layers. You might have someone real close to you die one moment. And then you may have a coworker's friend or a relative down the, you know, our friend's relative down the street past the second. It's how do we deal with grief? What do we do? How do we frame it in our minds? As a psychic medium, I will tell you that death is not the final step, that as you cross over, you transcend, you're greeted by someone else that's there, and you stay connected to us, and we're the reality show for the other side. So 
our deceased loved ones watch us. That's my theory, at least. And it's only a theory, but you can subscribe to it or not. I just think that what Glenn is doing is amazing. And I'm really happy that he's out there doing what he's doing right now. And I like his message and it resonates. So thank you so much, Glenn, for coming on. Thank you, audience, for for checking out this episode and supporting our show. We just crossed over 160,000 listens and we're still going. And I just started a second podcast called Psychic Visions with my best friend, Megan Kane. And we'll be putting content out there as well. So keep in touch, check us out. And thank you so much. When you're positive, anything's possible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook. And don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum, restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Hass Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.